The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Pat Gray. Hey, Pat. Uh, Jeffy in Dallas, Texas. You're on the program. Hey, Pat. A long-time listener. Uh, First-time caller. Right. Uh, I just wanted to say that uh, I'd like to request a no Barack Obama. Uh, We've done so well during the entire program. Mm -hmm. It's been been nice uh, not hearing his voice last year. Hey, I know I'm on the phone, but uh, I, I I thought I was talking to Pat, not Keith. Uh, hey, uh, I was <laughs> Pat Gray weekdays from noon to three Eastern only on the blaze radio network. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to reform this with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the blaze radio network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back this week to another episode of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. This is your faithful American Muslim correspondent, podcaster, reformer, American patriot. The place where you come, I hope, to get some reason, to get some rational thought about the ideas that at the front lines of that radical Muslim reform. Not radicalization, but radical Muslim reform. Somebody who... Uh, likes to think outside the box, but yet who not only loves my country, but loves my faith and believes that ultimately the current establishment of the Muslim world, the Islamic establishment, i.e. the OIC, the Islamists, days are numbered. And as we started a new year this year, I reviewed some of the highlights of last year with you at last episode last week. But this week, 2018 begins with just a flurry of news. But on the reform front, as an anti-Islamist, as an American patriot, somebody who believes that American security will be done, will be achieved through the window of American Muslim reform, American Muslim modernization, and the defeat of political Islam. Mark this week. Just like we marked the beginning of 2011 with the Arab Awakening, with the beginning of the end of the Egyptian dictatorship, the Syrian dictatorship, the Libyan dictatorship, the Tunisian dictatorship, on and on. Now, I know those stories didn't end well for many of them. Egypt reflects back to a dictatorship, but yet went through the maturational process of doing more to destroy the ideas of the Brotherhood in its 18 months of power, if not just a few more months, than 60 years of dictatorship did. And now 2018, ladies and gentlemen, begins with the beginning of a nascent revolution in Iran. Not the revolution of 1979, in which tens of thousands led by the inspiration of Khomeini from Paris, through his inspiration, radicalized an entire government to create the world's most corrupt government and theocracy on the planet that then took the Islamic State and made it into a hegemonic power of Shia radical Islamism that now has fueled Hezbollah and now going into its fourth, in its fourth decade, continues to sow 
Terror continues to destroy its people, oppress its people, rob the rights and freedoms of, its, of every citizen who doesn't toe the line of Islamic theocracy. Nobody expected last year, has anyone, please, has anyone talked about an upcoming Iranian revolution? Not at all, and yet, just a few days ago, in 10, 11, 12 cities across Iran, and especially in the strongholds of Qom and other places in which the religious Shia clerical leadership have been based, we saw the beginning of marches of demonstrations in which the people of Iran were yelling together in unison, death to the dictator, death to the tyrants, death to Hezbollah. Yes, they said death to Hezbollah. You won't see that on television. And where's our media? I'm going to talk to you about that today. We're going to spend some time talking about the nascent revolution. Is this a revolution? Will it die off? What does it mean? The Arab awakening never touched the Farsi community. The Persian awakening hadn't happened, though there was a green revolution even before the Arab awakening in 2009. And no thanks to President Barack Obama, that revolution never happened. It died off in only a few weeks. This time things are different. This time we have a president that's already voiced support that you at the United States is watching the Iranian government, that we support the people against their regime. Hats off to President Trump for leading his message. And I have to tell you, the Twitter effect, knowing that's coming directly from the president, is far more effective than a press conference, is far more effective than a message being read out from the White House stationery. You know that President Trump feels this, that there is nothing healthier to the security of the Middle East, the security of America, and especially to the human rights of the Iranian population and what they want than the overthrow, than the revolution, the evolution away from theocracy and towards a secular democracy. What do we do? How does this reformation become actualized? What does this mean? We're starting already to see that this is real because we're hearing now, ladies and gentlemen, this revolution, as, I, as we heard in that song in the 60s, this revolution will not be televised. The Iranian government has already turned off communications. It's turned off the internet. It has turned off social media. I have to tell you, we're not hearing anything. The New York Times reporter who claimed his claim to fame was being the only major Western media reporter based in Tehran for 20 years claimed he just got back a couple days ago, four or five days, if not a week into this revolution. He was on vacation in Japan and he just flew back. Name is Thomas Edbrink, and you look on Twitter, and Edbrink took quite a bit of, uh, I think, appropriate criticism for his absence, for his delay in reporting. Now, he then ultimately, on January 2nd, produced a report about the protest being, the, the, the target of the protest being the hardliners and ref so-called reformers that 
had tapped the Iranians' ire, as he said, and now the protest target. But it took them quite a while to come around. And they haven't come around yet, but the reality is eventually the protests will be reported. And what they're trying to do is, it, it's obvious. Everything was sacrificed with Iran at the altar of the nuclear deal. You and I have talked about this before. The nuclear deal was, oh, the answer was, we will do anything. God forbid Iran gets a nuclear weapon, it will be Armageddon because they're suicidal. Yeah, and they don't want to go to war, so therefore everything was sacrificed. Throw $100 billion pellets in cash. Let's uh, go ahead and, and, and let them uh, commit genocide against the Sunnis in Syria. Let's go ahead and let them fuel Hamas. Let's go ahead and let them work with Erdogan and Turkey. Whatever it might take, we need this nuclear deal. That was the mantra. Now we're finding out that even Obama last week, you and I talked about the fact that the Obama administration told the DEA to stand down on multiple cases of narcotics and, and, and running of drugs with money funneling back to Hezbollah to fund terror. And the DEA was told to stand down from the Department of Justice, Department of Treasury because of the nuclear deal, as reported by Politico, and still, I think, warrants significant hearings on the Hill. And if there were any lives lost and cases dropped I believe that that borders on treason and definitely criminal action. Now, we see a revolution rising up and the left calling to question the origins of this revolution. Is it really revolution? Or first, the first headlines in the New York Times last week was that it was a government. These are some pro-government rallies. That's what the CNN and New York Times headlines said. Now, there were also other headlines that said differently, but they had folks pushing the same old propaganda. Remember, the New York Times was the paper of record for the Iranian government. The foreign minister, Zarif, used it to put his op-ed forth about what Iran's goals were and how the Saudis were the primary problem. It was an anti-Wahhabi screed, which I read all the time too, right? But coming from a Shia radical, it's hardly, it's like two mafia families writing about one and the other's corruption. And that was the platform. So slowly, initially, they thought, well, maybe these these demonstrations will go away in a couple of days. We don't want to, we don't want to ruin Obama's legacy, his legacy of, of of this moderate reformers, the so-called reformer clerics, the rough son Johnnies of the world, and the 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 moderate politicians who worked with the moderate Khatamis, etc., which was all a joke. The people realized that this. Government was corrupt. It took pellets of cash and funded terror in Syria, funded Hezbollah, and they still, what they're chanting in the streets is food, jobs, and liberty. Food, jobs, and liberty. That's what they're chanting. And they're beginning to chant it more. City to city, at the strongholds of the Supreme Council leaders and the clergy. And the government's beginning to respond with the death of tens, if not more. We don't know. There's been a blackout. We're hardly seeing any video, let alone any social media postings that are showing pictures yet. There are some out there. There's a lot of brave reporters, journalists that are citizen journalists in Iran that are trying to get the word out. And so far, the vast majority of the coverage has been, in America, conservative media. 
Where are the liberals, the feminists? This is a woman's movement. There's many signs that My Stealthy Freedom, look it up, My Stealthy Freedom, which has been a movement of women who take off the hijab and believe in their right to decide whether they will take the theocratic decisions to wear hijabs. Now, this is not an issue about theological differences about whether they wear the hijab, but should the government mandate it and the Iranian people were sick and tired of it? And My Stealthy Freedom was about fighting back against that. And many of the women are marching in the streets now, energized, moving to continue to grow in this revolution. When we come back, let's talk. Let's look deeper into what the regional implications are and what should be done next. This is Sudi Chasser on Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Chasser. The Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. We're talking about the most penultimate example of reform, which is people demonstrating, Muslims demonstrating against theocracy. What better images do you want that not all Muslims are Islamists? Remember, the Islamists are those who believe that the state, the military, should be based to protect a legal system of clerical Sharia law, Islamic law, Islamic jurisprudence that that should be the identity of the state. The flag should be based on a homogeneous citizenry of Muslim leaders, Muslim citizens that bow to the supreme leader who is the representative, the caliph, the successor of God on earth. That is what the caliphate means, the vicegerent of God on earth, the representative of God, his law, his, his rules, his principles wasn't working too hot for the Iranians. The only way they've maintained power is through tyranny, through oppression, through torture. And yet we have genuflected through the Obama administration. We have never really... We even talk about regime change and it said, oh, that's nation-building. That's neoconservatism. You know, listen, let's separate... The advocacy of American ideas, universal human rights, versus America investing our blood and treasure in those countries. Let's separate those two things, please. It's one thing for us to support through tweets, through presidential acknowledgement, through American policy, through working on the ground with our true allies. That is a strategy versus us going in like we did in Iraq, we can talk about whether that was legitimate or not, but like we did in Iraq, where there was no revolution, we just overturned a government and then ended up having to invest billions upon billions into rebuilding a country that we broke. 
It was broken. I think we did them a service and liberated them from the Ba'athists in Iraq. But that was a very, that is nation building. But the advocacy of folks on the ground who have a future for their country based in democracy and free markets is Americanism. It's working with fellow believers in liberty. Otherwise, in our absence, the Russias of the world will empower the theocrats, as in Iran. And I've been screaming from my lungs trying to express to people what was happening in Syria. And I think finally people are beginning to understand. It is amazing to me to see the difference in approach by Western media and conservative media to what's happening in Iran versus what's happening in Syria. In Syria, people were saying, oh, Bashar is a mean tyrant, he's a dictator, but oh, what's going to come next? And that's because that dictator was not on the window, on the windowsill was not a theocrat. Tried to tell people, as you heard on this program, well, he's getting paid by the Iranian theocrats. Well, he's become a client state of them. Well, he allows Hezbollah to reign through. He has basically fueled ISIS, and he never touches them without us finally having a president that wanted to end ISIS. All that went on deaf ears. He wears a suit, doesn't uh, have a wife that wears a hijab, and really doesn't talk too much about Sharia law, and is just a brutal tyrant, so nobody really cared much about the Syrian people. But now in Iran, we see the people rising in their sympathy. Why? Because the government of Iran represents both tyranny and Islamist theocracy and global jihadism and hegemonization. So who could be against the revolution? Ah, the left was in America for a few days, and they still are. You saw Joy Behar this week comparing... presidential tweets are blocking the blocking our president blocking a Twitter follower from whatever to stoning gays or killing gays in Iran that that would be the next step the slippery slope in America that trivializes actually what's happening in Iran they were trivializing it a bigotry of low expectations that soft bigotry which I think is real bigotry in which we trivialize what happens in Tehran and Qom and Syria and elsewhere and say, oh, it's just like what's happening with Trump or whatever other tool of the obsession of the ethnocentricity of the left with everything being centered on partisan game in Washington. The protests this year, the protests this week are about jobs, are about unemployment of the young people, half the population running at about 40%. In Iran, they have no choice. They have no voice. Democracy is a sham, as it is in any brutal dictatorship. Last month, President Rouhani leaked a government budget and a large, hefty amount goes to the religious institutes. Billions of dollars were going to hardline organizations, according to Yes, finally, to this report by the New York Times. And many that were interviewed claimed, reported that it bothered them. And some of the imams were summoned 
because they voiced some disagreement with the fact that only the hardline clerics were promoted and they were getting hefty sums. And then some of the women began to take off their hijabs and make no mistake, this is not about anti-conservatism in Iran. This is about anti-oppression, anti-tyranny. There is no better symbol of individual freedom than telling the government that you have no right to tell a woman what she puts around her head. And by the way, a couple weeks ago, their chess champion in Iran, their chess champion defected to the United States team. There's something happening. And ladies and gentlemen, we are witnessing it. Occasional reports here, but that revolution for the most part, is not being televised yet, but it has been happening. A couple weeks ago, a little small report in the New York Times how the chess champion from Iran came to the to join the U.S. team, and she said, I will leave the government. She, she said, I will leave my country when they care more about the piece of cloth wrapped around my head than what's inside it. I... How profound is that from a chess player whose mind is brilliant? Her name, Dorsa Darakshanani. Dorsa Darakshani. Maybe one of the catalysts of this revolution, who knows? She was on the Iranian national women's team, and she was banned from playing because she wanted to not wear the Islamic headscarf. And now she's on the American team. What more testimony do you want that the revolution is afoot? The many examples through Iran, city to city, people marching, the slogans that we hear that they want jobs, that they want freedom, that they want liberty, that they want the tyranny to end, that they want the Islamic councils to end, that they want the theocrats, the people with the beards to go away. Those images... Yes, I was talking to you before about the media. Those images need to be shown. What greater images are there to think that? How many people have told me or told you that it is in the DNA of Muslims to have a theocracy, to have an Islamic state? Um, Okay, where's this revolution coming from? How quickly, how quickly the stereotypes would vanish. And the theory, the position that I have had, is so many people say, well, what would come next? Nobody's saying what would come next in Iran because everybody knows that right now we have the worst possible government. In Syria, they say that because Assad was just a Syrian dictator who was torturing, slaughtering his own people. But as long as he didn't want nuclear weapons, as long as he didn't create ISIS, which was created from the Saudis and Sunni radicalism, who cares? No, I'm saying that sarcastically. My family cares. The Syrians care. And ultimately, he fueled ISIS. Ultimately, secular dictators in the Middle East are a mirage. It is all about radical Islam. It is all about Islamism. And that there's a marriage between national socialist, far left, far right, and the Islamists, like you see with the royal family in Saudi Arabia and the Wahhabis, on and on. But that's a harder puzzle to put together 
The easier puzzle is Iran, where it was married completely. And anti-regime is pretty straightforward for even the isolationists in America. Because it doesn't matter who comes next. Right now is the worst possible option. And the best anti-nuclear Iran program is not the appeasement and genuflection that we saw in the eight years of Obama. But rather a policy of regime change. And it didn't matter who comes next. And the best policy, the reason what comes next will be better, is that the Islamist fever that Khomeini rode in 1979 has now worked its way through 30-plus, almost 40 years now in, 19, in 2019. 40 years of hell on earth. And they've only been able to maintain power by tyranny. We'll see how many people end up dying, but I wouldn't hold it past any part of the regime not to commit ex- extreme war crimes against the Iranian people. So President Trump is right. The U.S. will be watching. Now, will we do anything? We'll have to see. But ultimately, this revolution is extremely, extremely important. When we come back, I'll, I want to talk to you one last segment on Iran and what's there to learn so far in this wonderful, wonderful turn at the beginning of 2018. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze radio network now as i said i think it's important to realize that iran getting to this point you now have a population of muslims that is finally beginning to boil to boil against islamism islamic theocracy against their islamic state with slogans that you just could not that we could sit in our family rooms here on the couch behind a desk, behind a keyboard in America, the comfort of freedom and right, and type away and say, oh, this is the ideas we want to sell. But living under that tyranny taught them a lesson for now almost 40 years that we just could not teach them in a book. So I think the lesson here is if this leads to regime change, which it may not, there's certain, certainly a point of departure here in which there's a schism, there's a fracture within the Iranian people now that will not be put back into the box or into the bottle. That fracture may slowly crack. It may end up like Syria, divided, terrorized, balkanized, or regime change. I don't know. We'll see. But at the end of the day, this is the beginning of the beginning that people said would never happen. The beginning of the beginning that people said would never happen. That somehow the Islamic theocracy was ingrained into the DNA of Shia Islam, and as as it is ingrained into the DNA of Sunni Islam, 
the Wahhabis of Hamas, of the Muslim Brotherhood, etc., etc., of the Salafi jihadists, and the Khomeinists of Iran. But we're seeing that that's not true, and I think the maturation, the evolution to a revolution is what got us here. And that evolution to a revolution is, I think, the process that becomes the template for the entire Middle East. What do I mean by that? I mean that ultimately people need to learn just like kids need to learn. You can't sit down with your kids at a dinner table and ultimately say, lay out what maturation means and somehow they absorb it and then they become experts and make reasonable decisions. No, we learn through experience. And when the Muslim communities of Iran, of Syria, of Egypt, experience the Brotherhood in Egypt, experience the Khomeinists for 38 years now, experience ISIS in Syria. You saw one of the parts that, the unknown stories in Syria, ladies and gentlemen, is that yes, President Trump's DOD made ISIS significantly, 90% of its victory happened. But on the ground, the Syrian Democratic Forces not the defense forces of the regime. The Syrian Democratic Forces were fighting ISIS tooth and nail. That battle, if they're ever able to get rid of Assad, will remind them that Islamic states cannot happen. Taught them a lesson that nothing else could teach them. And I think you look back in humanity. Maturational processes are a normal evolution. We always evolve to a revolution. We evolve to revolt and then revolt again and step back and sometimes revolt again. The French had how many revolutions? Europe went through so many revolutions. And sometimes we boomerang back into fascism as we saw in Europe in the early 20th century. But this cycle, please, this cycle has to continue. You cannot say that, oh, let's plan which dictator will affect us less because then... By compromising our own principles and doing so for not only stability reasons but economic reasons as we fill our gas tanks with $2 a gallon gas, as we do things that somehow are our own short-sighted strategic errors, we then perpetuate corruption and we perpetuate the strong horse. That concept in the Middle East and Arabic saying in poetry that it's always the strong horse, not the brilliant, the wise, the soft, the compassionate. No, the strong horse that wins. If they have the military, if they have the tribe, if they have the money and the power. It's all about power. So the only people on earth, that city on a hill, that can change the formula of power is the United States. There was a case this week that Donald uh, uh, that uh, was reported by Reuters and um, was missed by President Trump, I think, but maybe the Trump administration is following it. But uh, Daniel Pipes reported about it. It was about a U.S. jury that found a Turkish banker guilty of helping Iran dodge sanctions. And as Dr. Pipes said, the real headline of that story that sanitized headline, the real headline should have been, Erdogan financier was guilty of helping Iran 
build its nuclear program. That's the real story. Thank you, Dr. Pipes. And I think in the in the setting of a few days into the revolution, that is a good segue into what this revolution means. I hope it continues. American strategy should be to fuel working with the groups that are secular Democrats on the ground, women's groups, anti-Islamist groups, also anti-Russian groups in the in the Iranian people and city to city. God knows how many intelligence officers we have on the ground there and what's happening on the ground there. We'll never know the real story, but hopefully we continue to air any information coming out of any of the cities. American media needs to step up. Social media needs to step up. And we need to have a strategy of ultimately finding the route for complete regime change in Iran. And yes, it's going to be messy. Yes, it's going to be disruptive. But that route needs to happen. And what's going to happen then is the regional dominoes. The Turkish Islamists, the AKP, the Muslim Brotherhood of Turkey, has been working very closely with the Islamists, the Shia Islamists, Khomeinis of Iran. As thus, they have built, rebuilt relationship with Russia. Now they were all in with the Islamist movements of revolution in Syria. Not the secular parts of it, but the Islamist parts of it. And ultimately, that's what helped radicalize a significant portion of Syrian population in the revolution was the radicalization from Saudi Arabia and the cooperation with Turkey. So Turkey is the promiscuous promiscuous Islamists that will tap into any conflict in the region that serves their Islamist hegemonic efforts to rebuild the caliphate. The caliphate. The Remember the caliphate used to be part of the Ottomans? They had that caliphate in Constantinople that became Istanbul. And we heard little whispers and speeches from his, from Erdogan talking about ending the Sykes-Pico. Remember Sykes-Pico was the agreement in the early 20th century in which many of these countries were carved out. Egypt, Libya, Saudi Arabia, Syria, etc. Erdogan's dream is to end those. So his financier this week, thanks to the Trump Justice Department, his financier was convicted for trying to bypass to bypass sanctions against Iran. They wanted to blame the Gulenists. As I'm sure you'll see, the Iranian government blames Israel, blames the great and little Satan. On and on they blame foreign powers when in fact Iran's revolution is a domestic one. There is no foreign invasion. There is no foreign interference. Yet they don't mind foreign interference in Russia. As they demolished the Syrian population as they decimated and fueled Yemen and the Houthis and others, the domino effect regionally is going to be decrease in the radicalization of the Yemeni Houthis, decrease in the fuel to Hezbollah, the turn inward back into Iran of the regional powers, Assad then becoming less able to depend on Tehran. And if Russia abandons him, he's over. The revolution will pick up again. So the dominoes may fall.
The dominoes may fall, but first Tehran has to fall. And this revolution needs to continue. I hope and pray it continues beyond the three weeks that the Green Revolution occurred in 2009. It's only been a week so far, but we are seeing growing protests. America needs to cover it left and right. This is a nonpartisan issue. Feminists, where are you? The women are on the streets in Tehran and they need your support. Gay rights activists, where are you? The so-called non-existent gay movement, which the Islamic theocrats say doesn't exist in Iran, does exist. We know it does. People have come back to report about it. Their human rights are being decimated. And they need to be treated as human beings. Human beings that are treated like dirt in Iran due to the theocracy. And they are protesting. I'm sure they're part of the protests. We need to support them. In all the different aggrieved minorities. From women to Baha'is to Ismailis to the gay community to the Iranian Jewish community, Zoroastrians and others. There are many minorities that are fighting for freedom today, and it is our obligation as Americans to verbally, to emotionally, and to intellectually, and actively as activists support them. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform. This will be right back for the last segment. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. The conservative cartel. When's the end date on the collusion with Trump Russia? When is the end date on the Mueller special investigation? How long are we going to let this witch hunt go before we finally say, look, you've been doing this for 18 months and you haven't found squat? We're not any farther than we were when they started. Because there's nowhere to go. Right. So my, I go back to my initial question, Rocky. When's the end date? To be determined, Matlock. To be determined. The conservative cartel. Saturdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. So, what are the tools in the bucket of the State Department? This week, President Trump raised for the first time a legitimate, a legitimate call that will be listened to. And I say legitimate in that every president could have done this, but I think President Trump's the first one that actually people believe is probably going to, could do it. Just like in the campaign, every president called Jerusalem the capital of Israel. But once they got into office, none of the previous presidents, Republican or Democrat, actually did it. And all we're talking about semantics. Semantics, publicly, the United States government acknowledging Israel's capital of what it calls its own capital, where its ministries are, where its Knesset, where its government is. And President Trump actually did that. We talked about that a couple episodes ago. Now, President Trump this week has threatened countries that oppose his decision on Jerusalem, has threatened countries like Pakistan that take money we give them and pump it into radicalization, into medrasas, into a society that is anti-American, that fuels radicalization of radical jihadists, Salafi jihadism, and said, you know what? 
Our money will not be free. It will not just be a handout to our enemies. That the strings will actually mean something. Just as Nikki Haley, Ambassador Haley, said, we are taking names of those who oppose this resolution, who are, who are condemning the United States for declaring Jerusalem the capital of Israel. For those who condemn that, we will take the names and future funding may be affected. And in fact, a few weeks later, the United States announced oh, about a decrease of a quarter of a billion dollars in funding to the U.N., you have to admit that that's a tough policy not to support. Pakistan was put on notice this week that money that's been traditionally going to Pakistan in the billions will no longer come free of charge regardless of what happens. We continue to give Pakistan that billion dollars even after we had to run a SEAL operation in 2009, I believe, to get and kill our number one enemy across the globe, Osama bin Laden, who had been hiding out, likely known to their intelligence services. And we didn't want to tip off their intelligence services because we thought, ultimately, that that may make the target scatter. Not disappear, scatter. And that ally didn't see a blip in the money we were sending them. That needs to change. And I could not support more that change. And I hope it is not just verbiage, it's not just rhetoric this week. And I hope that ultimately this week we also see the institution again, the declaration of quick uptick in sanctions against Iran. Sanctions that decertify the nuclear deal, sanctions that tell them that they are a pariah on the world stage because of not only what they're doing this week, but what they did in Syria, and that we begin to isolate them as we are doing North Korea. And I think that is extremely important because then the United States will be feared and loved by citizens who want to be free. Loved not by the regime of Iran, but by the people of Iran. Loved not by the regime of Syria, but by the people of Syria who want to be free, and not the radical ISIS militants that we want to decimate and should decimate, but by the people who want to be free and keep the world peaceful. How hard is that? Why are we doing that? It seems pretty straightforward. And then I was doing a couple interviews this week and they kept asking, well, but won't that destabilize the region? Bottom line is, is they have a lot more to lose in this equation than we do. The Pakistani government should understand that they have a, they can't put this, what I called a couple episodes ago, the militant Islamist heckler's veto on everything we say, saying that, oh, they, they, it'll be Armageddon of terror. Israel's been dealing with Hamas now and terrorists in their own borders for over 70 years. And they've never surrendered to that nonsense or appeased them by shoving shoving millions upon millions of dollars to them. No. Ultimately, defeat has to be done is the, is the answer to pushing reform. 
not appeasement. Now, they need us a lot more than we need them, but there are aspects that we do need them for. Thank God we don't have a base in Pakistan, but we have one in Qatar. What are we going to do about that? We should be ready to shut it down. Qatar are in bed completely as one of the global cancer cells of the Islamic movement, the Islamist movement, as we see through the propaganda coming out of Al Jazeera, which, by the way, despite its support of the Syrian revolution, has been slow on the uptake on the Iranian revolution. Oh, why? Because Qatar and Iran share some natural gas areas that they don't want to sacrifice. That's how dictatorships work together in their promiscuous promiscuous economics and politics and tyranny. But ultimately, the United States has to be ready for higher oil prices, has to be ready. This is why the recent tax legislation, tax reduction, tax break legislation, which also include opening up the Keystone Pipeline, I think is extremely key to American national strategy. If we can get oil independence through Keystone and other aspects, to begin the getting that oil pumping, we can tell the Saudis, you either get rid of the Wahhabis or we will stop doing business with you. We can tell the Qataris, you either stop funneling and funding the Muslim Brotherhood or we'll stop doing business with you. We can isolate Iran. And listen, why is Europe slow on the Iranian revolution? Why have they been so silent? Well, their company's already doing business in Tehran when the sanctions got lifted. Oh, all those businesses, oh, even Boeing was on the verge of doing, I don't even know, they may have even already started. This economic promiscuity is a big part of the pathology. So, ladies and gentlemen, we've learned a lot this week. I think things are changing. Now, I, I have to admit, I am skeptical not skeptical of the genuineness of the Iranian revolution, skeptical of whether the world leaders will continue the current fervor, especially the leaders of the free world, and Trump included. I am pleased with his verbiage so far, but I hope it doesn't shift later as Russia starts to weigh in in support of Iran and its regime as other kingdoms start to weigh in because as much as Saudis hate the Iranian theocrats, having a democracy across the, the bay, across the sea, across the little sea there between Saudi Arabia and Iran, a vibrant democracy in the next decade, oh, wouldn't that be great? Which would then be the writing on the wall of the end of days for the Assad regime, would not be a good thing for the Saudi government. The OIC, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, has for long, has for long depended on mutual tyranny in their region, where the, where the mafioso families of each tribal government that ran its governments, its societies, its states, depended on each other to stay in power and bolstered each other up, as Saddam did with the Assads as... Mubarak and others did over time, and that sort of has changed with the Arab awakening. They're rebalancing, and Trump repositioned us with the Sunni dictators. 
Now, that was an advance from the Obama complete abandonment of the Middle East and appeasement and Philly and and uh, affinity for his Khomeinist friends. But ultimately, that may be recalibrating. And I hope President Trump's support of the Iranian people continues. I hope our strategy will be to continue destabilization ultimately from evolving revolution to a true revolution and end of that regime. And a different paradigm from simply supporting the establishment, the Islamic establishment. I was afraid, concerned, that while Trump was anti-establishment domestically, was he pro-establishment globally with various regimes? And I'm not seeing that now with Iran. We saw it with Saudi Arabia, but some of that might have been strategic against ISIS, etc. But it's hard to be critical so far of what we've seen in the first few days of this 2018 revolution against the tyranny of the Islamists. It's a great day. Hopefully the beginning of the beginning of the end for the Islamic theocracy of Iran. This is Zuri Jasser on Reform This. Thank you for being with me this week. Tune in next week as we continue the conversation about global Islamic reform at Reform This. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.